You are listening to a sermon from In-Town Presbyterian Church in Portland, Oregon. If you'd like to listen to other sermons or find out more about the ministries and work of In-Town, please visit InTownChurch.com. I know that there are here this morning um, present some incredibly broken lives. There's pain that at times feels like it's going to eat you alive and you don't know what to do with that. I know this because I, I talk to you guys and I know myself and there's things going on in each of our lives, whether we'll admit it or not, that are tearing us up inside. Maybe it's bitterness that we refuse to let go of towards someone, uh, someone else and it's twisting us and distorting us and it surprises us who we've become. We may not have even recognized ourselves a couple of years ago if we saw ourselves now. There's anger, perhaps, because you look it in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Maybe it's physical imperfections, or you just don't like the person that you've become, and you want to trade places with anyone else. I've got good news for you this morning, because this is a passage about the way that Jesus hears your pain, how he listens to you, how he has pity upon you, and how he comes in and heals. This is a message of good news. Jesus really does hear, and he really does heal. No one in Jesus' day could have been more distressed and disenfranchised and alienated than the leper. They were ostracized from normal community. They were, there's no one else more alienated than they were. Now, we call this disease leprosy. We don't know, in fact, if it's actually Hansen's disease, modern day le- our modern understanding of leprosy, or what it exactly was, other than it was a skin condition that was very apparent. It was obvious when you had it, and you couldn't, you couldn't hide it, and it cast you out of normal society. And it was very contagious. So the lepers were quarantined off from the rest of society. And they had to live among themselves. And there were all sorts of regulations for those with leprosy. And one of those was that you had to announce your presence as you came into the marketplace. Or if you walked down the street and you saw another person coming along the way, you had to say, unclean. You had to announce that you were deformed. Announce that you had physical imperfections. Can you imagine that? We want to hide. We want to diminish what is wrong with us. We don't want people to see what's broken and ugly about us. And they had to announce. They had to say, look, look at me. I'm ugly. I'm deformed. I'm unclean. Stay away from me. They had to draw attention to the very thing that any of us would want to hide. Any of us would want to minimize. Fifty yards away, but apparently they hear about Jesus we don't know what their relationship was to, them, to him long term. We don't know if they had kind of stumbled upon him, but apparently they had heard about Jesus. They hear that here's the one that transcends boundaries, that ignores social, economic, religious even, moral boundaries, that Jesus is the one, Jesus is the healer, the master, who walks across those boundaries and embraces people just like them. Could this be true? Could it be that there is someone who will, is normal who will look across the boundaries, who will look and see who I really am? No one else stops me on the street and says, how are you? What's your story? What's going on? What's your name? No one does that because you've got leprosy. 
you're alienated, you're isolated. But they hear about Jesus and they stand far off, they obey the standards, they obey the regulations 50 yards away and they yell, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And here, no one else will look at them, everyone else walks around in a big circle to avoid them. Jesus looks at them. Jesus listens to them. No one else listens. No one else cares that they're there other than to avoid them. But Jesus says, write to their souls. Go to the priest. Go to the priest. Why does he say that? We'll get to that in a moment. He hears them. He looks at them. He has compassion upon them. He has pity upon those that no one else has pity on. No matter where you're coming from this morning, no matter what your secret is this morning, no matter what your burden, what your struggle is, Jesus hears. Jesus listens. Jesus has compassion upon your problem. No matter what boundaries you stand behind in your neighborhood, in your socioeconomic class, in your whatever, no matter what boundary you stand behind, Jesus crosses that boundary when you ask him. He comes in. He's compassionate. He hears and listens. But go to the priests. What does that mean? That's where the story gets a little weird. He doesn't heal them immediately, but he says, go to the priests. Now, the priests were responsible. They were sort of the medical examiners of the day. Lepers were quarantined. They couldn't come into contact. They couldn't come into the temple to worship. And so you had to present yourself to a priest and let him sign off on the fact that you had been healed. You didn't go to the priest to be healed, but you went to the priest to demonstrate that you had been healed. So why does Jesus say, go to the priest? He hasn't healed them yet. They still have leprosy. He says, go to the priest before he actually heals them. And all ten go. All ten start walking towards the temple, presumably. We don't know when along the way that they were healed, but it says all were healed as they went. As they took that initial step of responding to Jesus, of obedience, they were healed. Often our struggle when we're struggling is a reluctance to obey and walk into community, walk into the people of God and say, help, help, I need your help. I'm unclean, I'm broken, I don't know what's going on with this problem, I need your help. But we're reluctant to do so. Jesus tells them, go into community, go to the priest, go to God's people, walk there to be healed. Sometimes our reluctance to do this very thing as the ten do is a reluctance of fear. We fear, what if people find out? What if people do know my secrets? What if I become a burden to them in this particular need? What if I'm rejected? What if I open up about this problem and people think about me differently? People think that I'm not as faithful as maybe they once did. It's a reluctance of fear. Or maybe it's a reluctance of faith that keeps us from walking into community, walking to the pastor, walking to the leaders, walking to others in the community and saying, help me. It's a reluctance, perhaps, of faith that if we, may, that if we put ourselves out there, if we say, I have this need, that maybe Jesus won't really show up. Will he really fix my marriage? Will he really fix this relationship? Will he really heal me 
physically. We're worried that if we extend ourselves, if we take that relational risk, that Jesus might not show up. These ten people take a step, notice, before they're healed. Jesus hears. Jesus listens. He looks at them. But he puts them on the march. He says, go to the priest. Take this step of faith. Follow what I'm saying and walk into community. Walk into God's people. The reluctance of fear, friends, is a a lack of understanding the basic fundamentals of the message of Jesus. That when we extend ourselves into the community and say, I need help, that person we're saying that to needs help as well, whether they admit it or not. The gospel says that we're all lepers. Everyone in the church is a leper that's been healed. So why would we be fearful to walk into this body and say, I'm broken, I'm struggling, I have this problem, I have this addiction, I need help. When we're embarrassed about the problems that we have that keep us, being embarrassed is normal and natural, but if they keep us from extending ourselves into the community and saying, I need help, it's a, it shows, it displays that we really don't get the fundamental truth of the gospel, that we're all messed up, that we're all lepers. If we say that we believe in Jesus, we understand his gospel, and we're part of this church, we are saying about ourselves, I am a leper, and everyone else has said that same thing. So there should be no fear, there should be a willingness to listen to other people's sins and issues. The reluctance of faith is another thing entirely. It's not that we think that Jesus can't heal, but we wonder, will he really heal me? Will he show up when I want him to? And it's true that we live in a deeply dysfunctional world, and everything that will be true, all of God's promises have yet to come true. And so, yes, we live in a fallen world, and the way that Jesus works in his, pe- in his people and in his world is not always immediately what we expect. It's not always a circumstantial fix to our solutions. But there's a couple of things that we should see in this passage that should, the, in, in, in spite of that, help us walk towards him. First of all, that we see a lack of an immediate solution to di- difficulty, a lack of a circumstantial change a lack of a solution or a lack of physical healing is not, is not because Jesus is not listening. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's callous to your concerns. He does hear. And secondly, he responds with mercy. He responds with compassion and pity. We know nothing of these ten lepers, nothing about whether they were religious, whether they were faithful, whether they had identified themselves with Jesus, or they were completely non-religious. They were just looking for a healing. They had been healer to healer and were out of desperation saying, maybe Jesus will do it. Maybe this one that we hear about will heal. We don't know their story. We don't know their previous religious leanings, but he answers them. He gives them compassion. He gives them mercy. Whatever Jesus' circumstantial response is to our prayer, is to our questions, is to our struggle, whatever his circumstantial response is, his personal response is always mercy. It's always compassion. It's always love. The Son of God takes your, my, burdens on himself. 
He takes your emotional scars and places them on his shoulder. He takes your leprosy and owns it and takes it on as his. He always hears, friends. The circumstantial answers may not be what we want, may not be what we even expect, but he always answers and he always looks at you and listens and hears your cries and gives you pity. Now all are healed, but it seems that only one is healed deeply. All were healed physically, but only one seems to be healed deeply. And it has to do with their perspective, their interpretation of the event. The idea of seeing in the Gospel of Luke is very important. It comes up throughout the Gospel. And what seeing means is not simply that your eyes detect light waves. Seeing in Luke means that you perceive, that you grasp the spiritual realities behind, behind the light waves that you understand the reality of the gospel. Seeing is perceiving. It's believing. It's grasping. And it says that Jesus, he sees the lepers. He acknowledges them, but only one leper really sees Jesus. It says in verse 15, when he saw, he was healed. That is when he perceived the spiritual reality. When he acknowledged that it was Jesus that healed him. When he saw, he was healed. One of the beautiful, excuse me, one of the beautiful doctrines of Christianity is that of common grace. That God is good, not simply to those who acknowledge him and love him. That he is good to everyone. That his grace showers the world. But what believers do, what Christians do, is we see differently. That Jesus has given us eyes to see that good fortune, serendipity happenstance, good luck, blind luck, are not these things at all, but they are gifts for which we should respond to Jesus with gratitude. You see, friends, the same thing happened to both the nine and the one, but the one saw, he perceived, he saw it differently, he interpreted the event differently. The tenth leper then comes back loudly praising God, throwing himself at Jesus' feet. Now, wait a minute. He had told them to go to the priest. What's he doing back here, thanking and praising God? The leper, this one leper, is so overwhelmed that he's willing to risk Jesus' disapproval of him to come and thank him. It's like when you've gotten a good gift, a great gift before, and the person says, oh, no, I don't need any thanks. But that's uncomfortable. We we want to express our gratitude. We want to say thank you. And this leper is so overwhelmed that Jesus has healed him. He walks back. He risks that disapproval so that he can fall at Jesus' feet. He loudly praises. He makes a spectacle of his praise. He had been healed. He doesn't care who's listening, who's watching. He doesn't care what the crowd around him is saying. He just sees Jesus. And he comes and bows before him, an act of submission. And he loudly praises him. Friends, you see... When you begin to grasp the healing of Jesus, your inhibitions begin to fall away. You begin to not fear the response when you're honest about your sin. You begin to give up on those concerns that so-and-so may not like me anymore. When you only see Jesus like this leper did, he walked back to Jesus loudly praying, praising him. Friends, when you understand 
how richly, how fundamentally, how fully Jesus is willing to heal you, you begin to be able to see him. Your inhibitions begin to fall away. You can praise him. You can shout loudly. You can lift your hands. You become unaware of the fact that people are observing you. In a world that was stratified by class and by ethnicity, these lepers formed communities that didn't reflect that at all. The leper colonies were full of Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor. Their leprosy was their common bond. That was their identity. That was their mark. And so all of the boundaries that everyone else respected, they had no respect for. They walked with each other, arm in arm, because they were the only ones that could understand their problems. They had an identity as a leper that transcended all of the other boundaries that society would place upon them. And friends, when you begin to understand how Jesus gets in your life and heals you of your leprosy, that's your common bond. That's why the church must transcend those boundaries of economic, those boundaries of gender, those boundaries of superstition, those boundaries of whatever that we would place in normal society. Outside, inside the church, they fall away as it concerns the gospel and as it concerns one's relationship with Jesus. Now, there's one thing more I want you to see here. Because it's not until late in the passage that Luke announces that this person was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. This is the the person, the ethnicity that Jesus chooses in his parable of the Good Samaritan because that was an oxymoron. According to the religious Jew, you couldn't be a good Samaritan. There was great ethnic rivalry. There was great ethnic bitterness very big walls between Jew and not only Jew and Gentile, but especially Jew and Samaritan. And so he's saying that this is the one person that gets it. This outsider gets my, my teaching. This outsider gets the gospel. He understands what is really happening. He's the one that comes out. Jesus is pulling, his rug, pulling the rug out from under his religious followers. Because this person not only was a leper, he's a social outcast, but he's also a religious outcast. This is important because he would have no presupposition that he could place any leverage on Jesus. He had no right to call on the king of the Jews to say, heal me. He would know instinctively and immediate that if Jesus, the king of the Jews, was to have mercy, was to heal him, it would be out of a pure act of mercy. Not because he had any religious standing with him, not because he had any leverage over Jesus at all. It was a pure act of kindness. The Samaritan would have gotten that much more quickly, much more immediately. Last week, Steve preached on the unforgiving servant. And this servant is forgiven this monumental debt, but then for some reason doesn't isn't then forgiving of other people. He goes out after being forgiven and and holds this small debt over another person's head. A few weeks ago in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we see the Pharisee looking down his nose at this person standing far off, this tax collector, and saying, God, I thank you. I'm not like that person. You see, he pays homage to God. He's respectful of God but he doesn't love, he doesn't understand the very foundation of what has happened in his life, that God has been good to him, God has given him a great gift, the 
person that has forgiven the debt doesn't understand. He doesn't see what has happened. He doesn't perceive the spiritual reality of the debt that has been forgiven him. These nine people are healed just like the one, but they don't see. They don't perceive. They don't realize the significance of what has happened. They see Jesus as granting them something they lack, returning them to something they lost. He's granting them normalcy. It's something that you would say, thank you, Jesus. But something happened to the other one that they didn't, he didn't want to keep going. He wanted to run back and say, Jesus, thank you. I give you my life. The nine thought, saw Jesus as granting them something, granting them normalcy, restoration. But the Samaritan doesn't see his healing as a restoration to normalcy, a restoration of a social status. He never had those things to begin with. He sees it as a wholesale resurrection. Jesus has given him life instead of death. And he realizes that it's only his relationship with Jesus, only Jesus' compassion, not his innate goodness, not his religious standing, not his cultural heritage, not his ethnicity, not nothing. It was only because Jesus is good and compassionate. That's the only reason the Samaritan is healed. And what he sees is not a restoration to normalcy. He never had it. He's resurrected to new life, to life from the very beginning, a life he's never known. For the nine, Jesus gives them back something they had lost, but the Samaritan gets something he never had. That's the gospel. That's that's salvation as the Bible describes it. Jesus doesn't come to simply fix what is broken, to fix my relationships, to fix my job, to fix my internal struggle, struggle, to fix my spiritual questions, but to establish a whole new order of things. Not to return things to what they were, but to establish something more beautiful, more grand and great. And that's what the Samaritan gets. Both were healed, but the Samaritan sees. The Samaritan perceives the event in a vastly different way. The nine saw themselves as having leprosy, but the Samaritan saw himself as a leper. When you stand before God and ask for healing, when you come to Jesus and say, heal me, you have to know what you're asking for healing from. If you see yourself as sinful, that is, occasionally I break the rules, occasionally I paint outside the lines. If you see yourself as simply sinful, your response to God's healing will be to salute him, perhaps to thank him, to be have gratitude towards him. But when you stand before Jesus and you see yourself as a sinner, as a complete loss, you're, you're not on E, but you're redlined the other way. You're corrupt before Jesus. When he forgives you, you fall at his feet proclaiming loudly. You praise him. It's the difference in seeing yourself as sinful and seeing yourself as a sinner. He's not restoring you to something you had. He's granting you resurrection. He's granting you life that you've never had before. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher in Britain in the 1900s, said, if someone comes to you and says, I have paid one of your bills, you have no idea how excited to be. It could be that they paid your utility bill, or it could be that they paid off your mortgage. But you don't know how excited to be until you know which one it is. 
If you come to Jesus as one who has leprosy, you'll say, Jesus, please restore me. If you come to Jesus as a leper, you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see the difference? Friends, we don't just have leprosy, but we're lepers. We need total redemption, total forgiveness, total resurrection. And that's what Jesus is offering. He turns to the crowd then and says, so weren't there other... Weren't there ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Why have they not come back? He's told them to go to the the priest. In a sense, they're being obedient, but he questions their faithfulness. Why did they not come back? Are they not thankful like this one, this foreigner, this social outcast, this one with no religious standing? He gets it. He comes back, and he gives his life to me. How do we become the one who really gets it? How do we become the one who praises loudly, who gladly bows down before Jesus rather than the nine who are respectful, who are obedient, but they miss the party. They miss the celebration. They do what Jesus is saying, but they don't get life. They don't get resurrection. How do we become the one rather than the nine? Two things, and we'll close. You have to see yourself, as I alluded to, as someone who is not in need of a hand up, not in need of restoration of health. That's what the person with leprosy asked for. God, help restore me to normalcy, normalcy. Return me to zero. Return me to my default mode. You have to see yourself not as one who has leprosy, but as an outcast, as a leper, as one who is a sinner, who is corrupt before God. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus is beautiful. He's holy. And receive that. Ask for that. A person with no standing before God who receives Jesus' standing. Not because of anything in you, but because of Jesus' compassion. Because he sees you. He listens. He hears. And he has pity on you. And you say, Jesus, remake me. I don't just have a disease. I am a diseased person. Would you resurrect me? Would you remake me? Refashion me? You have to see yourself not in need just of a hand up of a restoration, but you have to see yourself as a leper. And secondly, you have to see how Jesus brings about your healing. You see, he doesn't just snap his fingers. He doesn't just say, you're done, you're clean, but he becomes unclean for you. He becomes a leper for you. He becomes an outcast for you. He allows himself to be thrown on the trash heap of society, to be an outcast in every way, religious, moral, economic, for you. When you see yourself as a leper, then you have to see also that Jesus doesn't just snap his fingers to make you clean, but he becomes a leper for you. He's crucified on a cross. The only perfect person, the only holy person, the only non-corrupt person who's ever lived is crucified on a cross. He takes your leprosy on his back. He takes your broken heart, your emotional scars, your questions, your pain, and says, I want them. I will absorb them, and I will make you clean. Not restore you, but I will make you clean like you've never been before. I will give you a whole new reality. That's what the gospel says. And there's promises yet to be fulfilled for that, for our whole world, for this church, for this body, and for you. So would you take hold of Jesus as we continue to worship?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is not one that stands far off and says, once you change, once you become better, once you clean up your life, then you can come. But Jesus knows us. He sees through us. And Father, let us take comfort in that. Let us be stunned by the fact that Jesus sees right into the depths of our soul and yet doesn't turn away. He hears and listens. And Jesus, would you hear us now as we pray, as we confess our faith as a body, and as we partake of your supper? Would you heal us? Would you lead us home? And we pray in the name, in your name. Amen.